0: You want the facts, we want to share them with you. Together, we'll boldly unpack the deeper truths inside the real estate industry's most relevant issues.
1: This is Getting
0: Real with Rob. Here's your host, Rob Namfeld.
1: Hello and welcome to Getting Real with Rob. Today, our special guest is Sean Heath, director of Charlotte's Housing and Neighborhood Services. Sean, welcome to the program. Thanks, Rob. Great to be here. Appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, Sean, um, you've been with uh, Housing and Neighborhood Services for about a year now. Is that right? That's correct. I've okay. been with the city
0: for two and a half and with Housing and Neighborhood Services for a little over a year.
1: Okay. It's great. Great to have you on board. Before we get into kind of the the details and the nitty gritty, let's talk a little bit about you. Um, how long have you been uh, here in Charlotte? little over 20 years,
0: originally from Maryland. I was actually born in Alaska, but we moved when I was five. So I consider myself to be from Maryland. Went to school in Virginia and then kind of a typical Charlotte story. We had family that moved here in the mid-90s and we followed them here a few years later. And since then, my in-laws and my parents have also followed us here. So we're collecting family members here
1: locally. That's great. Well, it's a great place to be, right? For sure. Um, So do you remember Alaska at all?
0: A little bit, but I could be remembering pictures. I'm not sure if they're original memories or not, but you know, the memories that I have, we'll assume they're just legitimate memories. <laughs> okay. are, are good ones, even though I was quite young. And I, we were in the Anchorage area, which at least in the summer months had a semblance of being kind of like normalish weather. At least I can remember a few days where we were out in shorts and T-shirts and there's plenty of sunshine.
1: Um, and in Maryland, did you, are you, are you a crab, crab fan?
0: Yes. We grew up on a little Creek that feeds into the Herring Bay, which feeds into the Chesapeake Bay. And we would keep crab pots out on our pier during the summertime. So growing up, I had no appreciation for how expensive it was to buy crabs at a restaurant because we just had them there and at our disposal all summer.
1: It was great. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, I lived in D.C. for a while, and we used to go out to the shore sometimes. Sure. Uh, um, there was a couple of islands, Saint Saint something. Do you remember? Yeah, yeah, Saint, Saint Michael's. Sol- well, Solomon's and Saint Michael's. That's Saint Michael's. Right. Yep. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 Now those were good times back sure. in my twenties, sure. younger, the, the young fun days. Um, yeah. So, uh, so now that you're an adult here in Charlotte, um, what what kind of what kind of stuff do you enjoy? You go out to eat. Do you? What's your favorite restaurant here in town? Favorite restaurant?
0: Well. I would probably say Elia's Noche, which is down, there are two locations in Charlotte. My wife and I go to the one that's down on Providence Road near Providence and Audrey Kell. We've been going there for, I'm sure, over 10 years at this point. So that's certainly a family favorite, at least for my wife and I. And then we do have an annual tradition where we go to Ruth's Chris between Thanksgiving and Christmas each year, which unfortunately this year I made reservations uptown and we didn't realize until we arrived in South Park that I'd made reservations at the Uptown Ruth's
1: Chris. Oops. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but thankfully there's a, I believe it's 131 main that's right across the street there in South park. so we, we had a decent plan B.
1: Okay, good. Yeah. Good. Yeah. That's a good place too. Yeah. Um, so what's the deal with Ruth's Chris? I mean, the whole thing, Ruth's with the, uh, apostrophe. that's a question. Yeah. I don't know. I know it's good food. That's about it. All right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> if one of our uh, listeners could call in, is that possible? No, <laughs> I'm fair. sorry. I'll, I'll move on. Um, so, uh, so you've been in, you've been with the department for about the last year. Um, what what are your what are your main responsibilities? What, you know, uh, what kind of policy are you are you pushing there at the city?
0: Sure. And If you don't mind, I might zoom out just momentarily here as of course. I think, you know, I have a natural inclination to zoom in to housing immediately for obvious reasons. But City Council just went through an annual strategy session not that long ago, which by extension helps to set priorities across the city organization and the city manager's office and, and all the department all the departments that do the work of the city. And this year council took their priorities from last year and, and added a couple areas. But I think it's important for me and then for your audience to remember that ultimately what we're trying to do is, is move forward a number of strategic initiatives in parallel. So affordable housing is clearly important, but so are jobs. So is mobility. So is a continued investment in corridors of opportunity, so it, it's intended to be a relatively short list of, of five to seven priorities, but the name of the game, if we're focused on economic vitality in the city of
1: Charlotte, is to move the needle in all of those areas at the same time to the extent possible. Oh, that's great. That, and that that's in line, actually, with a lot of our interests. Um, we talk about mobility, transportation, right, right. Um, growth, housing, uh, all of that is very much in line. Um you mentioned, obviously, housing is a big deal. We yes. do have, just as a background, we are the home builders, the realtors, the commercial folks, uh, apartments, right. everybody that touches real estate, essentially, in the Charlotte region. And um, housing affordability has been really on everybody's mind. Uh, you know, the State of Housing Report came out in November. Right. I know you were you were there at that meeting. You were there yes. at our luncheon. And um, they talked about how that the tipping point, when you're four to one on um, median sales price to median salary. Mm-hmm. Um you're kind of in that tipping point to, to unaffordability. Uh, we've, we've talked about, uh, promoting several different initiatives. Um, I know that you have talked about them at the city level Mm -hmm. as well. Um, what do you see as some of the kind of the key responses to that? What, what are, what should we be doing? What should the city be doing? Uh, and other local governments? What can the state do to, to supplement? And then what can we do as the industry to really sort of fill that void and, and help with some of those supply issues? Great question.
0: And I think there's there's evidence already in my mind of, of things that the city is doing in, in, in partnership with with some of your members. And we could probably play around with this question for a while. So let's maybe start up high and then we can we can drill down where we want. And I might point to two areas just to start us off. But one area, of course, for us is what their housing trust fund, which has been the signature program that we've had in place for over 20 years and mm-hmm. voters in 2018 and 2020 and 2022. In each of those referendums overwhelmingly supported a $50 million housing bond, which we use to fund and, and replenish our housing housing trust fund, which has been the tool for us to really be a catalyst for gap funding for affordable foreign housing for home um, and for a range of other things as well. So in November, 2022, with the additional 50 million now in the trust fund, we're going through a process to really think about with city council's current priorities, how can we put that money to work in an efficient and, and effective way? And I would expect you'd see some of what we've done in the past, but also with some some additional areas of focus, for example, naturally occurable affordable housing has been an area of interest here for us in the last five years. We've, we've kind of moved in that direction. Uh, That's not to say that we would exclusively focus on naturally-occurable affordable housing, but I think it'll continue to be a meaningful part of the portfolio. We've also had a particular interest in how can the Housing Trust Fund be used to promote and be a catalyst for land purchases and strategic locations. Uh, So that's something that we're working on now as an extension of our recurring RFPs for Housing Trust Fund investments. And then a second area of particular emphasis for us is around homeownership and what are things we can do to help accelerate the stock of affordable housing in the marketplace. And second, what are things we can do for households in particular to better position them for homeownership through things like our House Charlotte program, which we launched many years ago, where we're providing either down payment assistance or interest rate buy downs or opportunities to leverage funding to address closing costs. So those, those types of programs, of course, are focused on income eligible. Charlatans generally at the 80% area median income level and below. So this would be just two kind of general categories of things that we're doing. Um, as I was driving over here, I was thinking about some of the partnerships that we have that we have in place with some REBIC members, and I think Crossland Southeast comes to mind for me. We've got a number of projects that we've supported uh, Crossland has been doing great work. I'm sure we've got hundreds of units with Crossland that are either in development or in operation. So we're we're continuing to find ways to you know, accelerate this, you know, solutions for what is a tremendous housing crunch. And, and we're not alone in
1: Charlotte, obviously. All right, let me let me ask you about those house, house uh, trust fund dollars. Um, this last kind of go around, we had to kind of go back to a couple of the projects and and sort of refund or or add additional right. because we had some supply uh, cost. Uh, enhancements, if you will. Sure. Um, are you, as you go into this next round, are you looking at sort of how, how can we get the biggest bang for the, for the dollars that are available? Number one, right. number two, 50 million was much higher than it was in the, well, it was, I think we had two rounds of 50 million. Um, is the next go around, is that a hundred million or what's your sense of that? Sure. So I'll take those one at a time. And, mm-hmm. and you're right. We
0: were back in the 2016 timeframe at about 15 million. Mm-hmm. And prior to that, it had been lower. So even 15 was an increase from, from previous years. And moving up to 50, in terms of, you know, so we have an RFP for, for the Housing Trust Fund that where responses were due on Friday of last week. So we're just now in the early phase of crunching the numbers and evaluating the responses. And we're always interested in how can we demonstrate to city council, and by extension, how can we demonstrate to Charlotteans that they're getting a good return on investment we're making wise use of the, the public funds in the trust fund. And for us, the, the value proposition will focus on, first, the, the cost, of course, the cost per unit. Uh, we care about the AMI mix, and most of these developments are gonna have an average AMI of about 60%, uh, when the, the, the full range will be 30% AMI to 80% AMI. We care about the location of the units. Uh, we care about the affordability period. So h- how long can we preserve the affordability for these units? So. Those are kind of key, key factors for us in the evaluation. And in this particular RFP, we're taking a slightly different approach where we are going to segment the responses into tiers. And one way in which a proposal can make its way into our tier one for review purposes is if they can come in at or below our housing trust fund award guideline limits. So, for example, for a city-supported project that does not include city-owned land, the HTF limit would be $32,000 per unit. Now, what we experienced last year with extraordinary market conditions was there were, there were very few projects that were coming to us that were less than $32,000 a unit. So I haven't looked through the, the numbers yet. Uh, my team has everything in front of them, and I'll probably get a chance to take a peek at it over the next few days. But uh, the long-winded answer to your question is yes, we're very interested in the value proposition for these, for these proposals because all us equal... With that fifty million dollars, we want the most number of units. We want the best A.M.I. mix, and we want them in the most attractive locations. Recognizing that it's hard to have your cake and eat it too, because having more units in District Six and Seven, of course, makes it more challenging to bring the units in in a, the most cost-effective fashion. But we're interested in how that mix plays out kind of in in totality. So more to, more to come on that. As to your second question, in terms of what does the future look like for the for the Housing Trust Fund and and whether it could could grow beyond 50 million. Um, I'm not taking the easy way out on this question, but ultimately really that will be up to council through their budget discussions as they're evaluating a whole range of city priorities and needs. Uh, I have heard certain council members suggest that that should at least be part of the conversation and and I would expect that it would be. Uh, I don't believe it's on the table as something they're discussing right now for the FY24 budget. And, of course, the next referendum put to voters wouldn't be until November of, of
1: 2024. Um, as I mentioned, we, there, are, there are about six different strategies that we, we have kind of put forward through our, our various groups. Um, uh, expanding the homestead exemption, that's essentially a tax benefit for people that have paid off their mortgages, they've lived in their home for a long period of time, and they're, they're having a hard time uh, with, with higher taxes. Um, retrofitting or uh, existing uh, commercial buildings for for residential purposes um, adaptive reuse is another term for that um, uh, potentially a state tax credit that would be similar to the federal tax credit uh, LIHTC, uh that, that program uh, I think a number of our listeners are, are familiar with that um, uh, the housing um, uh, the Housing Authority Act uh, there's that funky um, language in the law that says if you set aside um, you know, 20% of a project for those earning up to 60% of AMI, you can get, you can benefit from a housing authority, but, uh, that's, that's where you're limited to. And, and I know, uh, you mentioned and Southeast to talk to some of the folks over there and others, they say it's hard to do a project like that anymore. And they're suggesting maybe a 10% set aside for those earning up to 80% AMI. That's, that's another thing, expanded use of ADUs. And then we already kind of, I think we started to touch on local regulations and, and, um, kind of what that, uh, how that impacts housing affordability. And I know that you've started to kind of take steps to address some of that. Out of those six, do you see, do you see some positive movement with those? Do you you see ways that we can um, sort of coordinate and collaborate uh, to see if we can get some of that through? Are there things that we haven't thought of based on stuff you're already working on, stuff that we're suggesting that we, a different place that we need to go that maybe we can we can support those efforts as well. I know it's a right. huge question. Um, let's take it in, in sure. bits and pieces, however <laughs> you want.
0: Bite-sized <laughs> chunks. That's okay. And uh, maybe I'll start with the first one and the last one in, in terms of expansion of the Homestead Act. So you, know, you may have seen the county and the city just over the last week or two have said that this will be part of the state legislative strategy mm-hmm. is to, uh, to seek out expansions to the Homestead Act. And in light of where we are in terms of the cycle for uh the property revaluations. I think the timing is right to to look at that. In terms of uh, local regulations, so one thing that city council is is exploring now, really as a starting point, and albeit a small starting point is a review of developer fees, development fees. And just this past week at at the Housing Safety and Community Committee meeting, there was a proposal around a fee reimbursement pilot program focused on city imposed fees that was passed by committee and will now move its way to full council over the next month month for a discussion. As a pilot program, we recognize that this, this will not be game changer, but it is you know, one, among, one among hopefully a number of things that we are doing to work with our partners to address things that can help reduce the cost of housing in the marketplace. One thing that we also mentioned to committee is that the housing department that I lead and the planning department led by Allison Craig are on the front end of conversations around broader questions related to regulatory burden. And we've had conversations with REBIC members and heard feedback from REBIC members about the cost of regulation and what are some things the city of Charlotte could potentially do to identify some, some common sense choices on things that the city either controls or can influence that could have a beneficial impact on, on the cost of housing. So I don't have anything to report today definitively on that other than to say that I said that out loud in our most recent committee meeting, that it, that is it is among the areas of interest for us at the staff level in calendar year 2023 and that they can expect to hear more. And now we're kind of working behind the scenes to sort out what would a work plan look like around that scope of work. And importantly, I would say, how can we have some of our partner members participate in the analysis so there is a recognition that we're listening. Um, and so we avoid a scenario where we go off and do a lot of work on our own and bring it back. And there's a misunderstanding around, well, this looks like a black box. How did you do this? Why, why weren't we involved
1: earlier in the process? So more to come on that. Okay. No, I think that's great. I would also encourage, as it relates to not just the regulatory in terms of the fee cost, the time. The time involved right. is a big is a big factor. Um, I hear that over and over and over again. And I know Enhanced review is something that's been explored. Um, So I would encourage that being part of the equation. Um, Understood. Yeah, and we we would like this to be holistic. Um, Yes. Thinking of our partners and their vantage point as we're trying to go through the analysis that's certainly consistent with feedback we've heard from others. Okay, great. Well, and, and along those lines, uh, we are actually uh, starting, we're in the, the exploratory stages of, of wanting to put together a workshop um, as it relates to housing affordability and bringing in some of the practitioners um, and others. Uh, obviously, we didn't want, want you guys involved in that and and spend you know half a day or a day kind of going through maybe some scenarios. Okay. Um, to see if we can if we can help in that regard, right. um, uh, as you explore different policy changes going forward. So, uh, I'll just give that a little premature announcement. I'm sure, but That's <laughs> something we hope yeah. to get on the books in the next couple months. Good,
0: and I, I like the idea of having some specific
1: scenarios because, at least for me, that helps make it very tangible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and because we're all about the outcome, right? Um, you know, a lot of folks like to do press releases and say, hey, that right. was great, but people forget about that. Right. It's really the outcome that matters. Right? Are there things that you think the city and other government, it could be the state, could be the federal level, ought to be exploring in terms of housing affordability? Well, that's, I guess that's part one. And then part two would be, what can REBIC and, and some of our other member organizations do uh, to support those efforts. Um, uh, obviously, we have a communication tool. We've got a great website. I've we got a newsletter that goes out. We've got this podcast. We've got other ways of getting out to the people um, that care about these issues. Uh, what, what can we do as an organization to kind of move the ball down the field? On the two questions, first, I would say my focus has really been
0: on, on the local level. And that's not to suggest or to be dismissive about opportunities at the state or federal level. But um, I've really been more focused on what are the things that we have more direct control and influence over. And in in terms of opportunities with the members, I would say I've found in the past 18 months that things have been most productive through relationships. And so I'd certainly love to have an opportunity to be more directly engaged and involved. You know, I I mentioned Crossland Southeast, uh, Greater Charlotte Apartment Association, was by our side in some policy work over the last two years Mm -hmm. uh, around source of income protection for city-supported housing. And we had a collection of stakeholders that were involved in that work and each brought a different vantage point to the discussion as we were trying to drive out what's a balanced solution to help ensure that for city-supported housing, that individuals with rental subsidies like housing choice vouchers are on a level playing field and they're not discriminated against. And we wanted a solution that worked for those prospective tenants. Uh, we wanted enforcement mechanisms that had teeth, but we also wanted to recognize the, you know, the kind of the needs and reasonable points of view for the property owners, property management companies as well. So uh, greater Charlotte Apartment association was quite helpful in that they were at the table. They were, they were directly involved. Um, with true homes. That's another example. I think of a Rebic member that I've had some exposure to Uh and I hope to have more exposure to because I think that would fall in the camp of innovative housing around home ownership opportunities. So all of that was just kind of going around the block to say that I think, you know, when you make direct reference to a workshop and, and spending a half day together, that ultimately is how we will move things is if it's through direct engagement and interaction. It's not let's, you know, let's exchange white papers or let's let's do an email list of what's your, your priority list and what's mine and then see where the overlap is. I think it has to be more through direct engagement. And we may find that there are 10 things that we're jointly interested in and maybe uh, five or six of those for whatever reason we don't think are, are right for collaboration, but maybe three or four are. So th- that, that would be m- my view on how to you know, take a relationship to the next level
1: would be to make it more direct and personal. Okay. Well, that's great. That's great. So let's bring this full circle. We talked about where you like to go out to eat. Um, uh, you look pretty fit, so you must work that off somehow. Um, what 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 kind of activity, other activities do you do you in, enjoy here?
0: My hobbies have changed a lot as I've gotten older. So I'm 51 now, and I would say up until my 40s, if I was running, it was only because I was told to run or I was training for something. Maybe when I was younger, a sport. But somehow, 12 years ago or so, I fell in love with running. So. I try to run at least 25 to 30 miles a week. I, I I rarely miss that target. I don't do a lot of road races on my own, but on at least once a year, I'll get together with some friends and we'll do a relay race. We've done the Blue Ridge Relay a number of times, which is 200-ish miles. So nine of us will alternate legs on, on the Blue Ridge Relay Race. Last year, we went to Oregon and did the Hood to Coast Relay, which was absolutely beautiful. I hadn't been to the Pacific Northwest in a long time, so I thoroughly enjoyed that. So running is definitely my thing now. And I learned how to play the guitar about seven years ago after having tried and failed twice before over the course of about two decades. But thanks to YouTube and the instructional videos on YouTube and a recognition on my part that becoming a good guitar player or even a beginner guitar player did not require me to learn how to read music (laughs) or even tablature. That really I just needed to know some chords and watch some instructional videos and I was off and running. So now I probably play on a daily basis. I love
1: it. Okay. Well, I think three chords in the truth yeah resonates <laughs> with you. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and on the running, I, I actually discovered a bit of a passion for running during COVID myself, uh, not 12 years ago, but, right. but, um, so I, I, try to do about 30 miles a, a week as well. That's great. Um, so we'll probably run into each other. I think something. so. I <laughs> think so. Um, no, that's great. Uh, well, any, uh, any parting suggestions for our uh, for our listeners in terms of uh, other ways to get involved? I know I've, I try to promote uh, getting on advisory boards with the with the city uh, as well as wherever they live in the in the in the region. Uh, any anything else you can suggest? Well, I mean, I think just going going back to the exchange that we had around
0: in- engagement, I think that what may be beneficial is for us to you know how do we extend this conversation today into something where we kind of map out some some touch points over the next few months and things that Rebic is doing and or things that we're doing on the city side where we think it'd be beneficial to have the respective organization plugged in, in
1: a way. Just be more intentional about it, I suppose. No, I think that sounds great. It sounds great. I'm I'm, I'm excited about it. I'm excited about promoting this workshop that I've already put out there. So um, (laughs) so we got to do it now, right? Absolutely. Um, Well, thank you, Sean Heath, uh, for being our guest today on Getting Real with Rob. And we'll see you next time.
0: Thank you for listening to Getting Real with Rob. This podcast is produced by the Real Estate and Building Industry Coalition in Charlotte, North Carolina. Learn more about us at rebic.com. That's
1: R-E-B-I-C.com. We'll talk to you next time.